0: Hey guys, it's Miss Hiblong. Um, I'm going to go over one of my favorite stories today. I'm going to read it with you. Um, and I will, at the end, kind of give my own little thoughts about, about the short story. So if you feel like reading comprehension is not one of your best things, then definitely stay with me today, guys. Okay, so we're looking at The Ransom of Red Chief um, by O. Henry. Um, now, one thing you really need to know about this, um, the backstory, is that this was published in 1910. So, a lot of things have happened. We've had a lot of movements. We've had a lot of rules changed. A lot of society um, or societal rules have changed. So, you got to keep that in mind. Um, so, let's just first look at this title, uh, Ransom of Red Chief." Um, If you know anything about true crime, which I am a total true crime uh, person, as I've said time and time again on this thing. Um, But a ransom is usually when someone has taken someone or something and they've said, if you want this back, you, you know, you must give me this thing. Um, Usually it's money, you know, it's a big amount of money. And what we're going to see today is it is money. Alright, and so this was 1910. Um, There, you know, nowadays we have so many things that we could have figured out. These two criminals that we're going to meet in the story, we could have figured them out with, you know, fingerprints. And there wasn't a lot of sophistication when it came to finding out who did things. And there were actually a lot of wrongful convictions uh, at this time because of things like this. But... Um, we are going to be in Alabama. So we are in Alabama. This is published in 1910. I can go ahead and tell you this is not supposed to be some sort of futuristic thing that we are reading together. So um, this one, you want, might want to just want to go ahead and get yourself something to drink. Get yourself a snack because we're going to be here for a little bit, okay? But I promise you it's going to it's be good, okay? Here we go. It looked like a good thing, but wait till I tell you. We were down south in alabama bill driscoll and myself when this kidnapping idea struck us it was as bill afterward expressed it during a moment of temporary mental apparition but we didn't find that out till later there was a town down there as flat as flannel cake and called summit of course it contained inhabitants of undeleterious and self-satisfied a class of peasantry as ever clustered around a maypole Bill and me had a joint capital of about $600, and we needed just $2,000 more to pull off a fraudulent town lot scheme in western Illinois. We talked it over from the front steps of the hotel philoprogenitiveness. excuse me. Says we is strong in semi rural communities, therefore, and for other reasons, a kidnapping project ought to do better than there, uh, there than in the radius of newspapers that send reporters out in plain clothes to stir up talk about such things. We knew that Summit couldn't get us after. Uh, couldn't get after us with anything stronger than constables and maybe some lackadaisical bloodhounds and a diatribe or two in the weekly farmer's budget. So it looked good. We selected for our victim the only child of a prominent citizen named Ebenezer Dorset. The father was a respectable and tight, a mortgage uh, fancier and uh, stern, upright collection plate, passer, and forecloser. The kid was a boy of 10 with bass relief freckles and hair the color of the cover of a magazine you buy at the newsstand when you want to catch a train. Bill and me figured that Ebenezer would melt down for a ransom of $2,000 to a cent, but wait till I tell you. Okay, so guys, just side note, this would be where we would have some foreshadowing because he's telling us this after this has all gone down, okay? About two miles from Summit was a little mountain covered with a dense cedar brake. On the rear elevation of this mountain was a cave. There we stored provisions. One evening after sundown, we drove in a buggy past old Dorset's house. The kid was in the street throwing rocks at a kitten on the opposite fence. "'Hey, little boy,' says Bill. "'Would you like to have a bag of candy and a nice ride?' boy catches bill neatly in the eye with a piece of brick that will cost the old man an extra five hundred dollars says bill climbing over the wheel that boy put up a fight like a walterweight cinnamon bear but at last we got him down in the bottom of the buggy and drove away we took him up to the cave and i hitched the horse to the cedar brake after dark i drove the buggy to a little village three miles away where we had hired it and walked back to the mountain bill was uh, pasting court plaster over the scratcher, scratches and bruises on his features. There was a fire burning behind the big rock at the entrance of the cave, and the boy was watching a pot of boiling coffee with two buzzard tail feathers stuck in his red hair. He points a stick at me when I come up and says, Ha! Cursed pale face! Do you dare enter the camp of Red Chief, the terror of the plains? He's all right now, says Bill, rolling up his trousers and examining some bruises on his shins. We're playing Indian. We're making Buffalo Bill's show look like a magic lantern views of Palestine in the town hall. I'm old Hank, the trapper, Red Chief's captive, and I'm to be scalped at daybreak by Geronimo. That kid (laughs) can kick hard. Yes, sir, that boy seemed to be having the time of his life. The fun of camping out in a cave had made him forget that he was a captive himself. He immediately christened me Snake Eye, the spy, and announced that when his braves returned from the warpath, I was to be broiled at the stake at the rising of the sun. Then we had supper, and he filled his mouth full of bacon and bread and gravy and began to talk. He made a during-dinner speech something like this. I like this fine. I never camped out before, but I had a pet possum once, and I was nine last birthday. I hate to go to school. Rats ate up 16 Jimmy Talbot's ants speckled hens eggs. Are there any real Indians in these woods? I want some more gravy. Does the trees moving make the wind blow? We had five puppies. What makes your nose so red, Hank? My father has lots of money. Are the stars hot? I whipped Ed Walker twice Saturday. I don't like girls. You doesn't catch toads unless with a string. Do oxen make any noise? Why are oranges round? Have you got beds to sleep on in this cave? Amos Murray got six toes. A parrot can talk, but a monkey and a fish can't. How many does it take to make 12? <laughs> Any of y'all right now being quarantined with a little brother and sister that likes to ask questions every, you know, every second? Does that sound a little familiar for some of y'all? Too soon? Okay, well let's keep going. Every few minutes, he would pick, he would remember that he was an Indian and pick up His stick rifle tiptoed to the mouth of the cave and searched for the scouts of the hated pale face. Now and then he would let out a war whoop that made old Hank, the trapper, shiver. That boy had Bill terrorized from the start. Red Chief, says I to the kid, would you like to go home? Aw, what for? says he. I don't have any fun at home. I hate to go to school. I like to camp out. You won't take me back home again, Snake Eye, will you? Not right away," says I. "We'll we'll stay here in the cave a while. All right," he said. "That'll be fine. I never had such fun in all my life." We went to bed around eleven o'clock. We spread down some wide blankets and quilts and put red chief between us. We weren't afraid he. We weren't afraid he'd run away. He kept us awake for three hours, jumping up and reaching for his rifle and screeching. His <laughs> sparred in mine and Bill's ears as he fancied the crackle of a twig or the rustle of a leaf revealed... To his young imagination, the stealthy approach of an outlaw band. At last, I fell into a troubled sleep and dreamt that I had been kidnapped and chained to a tree by a ferocious pirate with red hair. Just at daybreak, I was awakened by a series of awful screams from Bill. They weren't yells or howls or shouts or whoops or yawps, such as you'd expect from a manly set of vocal organs. They were simply indecent, terrifying humiliating screams such as women emit when they see caterpillars. Okay, pause. I resent that comment. This was definitely 1910. I'm just saying. It's an awful thing to hear a grown, strong, desperate, fat man scream incontently in a cave at daybreak. I jumped up to see what the matter was. Red Chief was sitting on Bill's chest with one hand twined in Bill's hair. And the other, he had the sharp case knife we used for slicing bacon. He was industriously and realistically trying to take Bill's scalp according to the sentence that had been pronounced upon him the evening before. I got the knife away from the kid and made him lie down again, but from that moment, Bill's spirit was broken. He lay down on his side of the bed, but he never closed an eye again in sleep as long as that boy was with us. I dozed off for a while, but along toward sunup, I remembered that Red Chief had said I was to be burned at the stake at the rising of the sun. I wasn't nervous or afraid, but I sat up and leaned against a rock. What you getting up so soon for, Sam? asked Bill. Uh, me? I says I. Oh, I, I got a kind of pain in my shoulder. I thought sitting up would rest it. You're a liar, says Bill. You're afraid. You was to be burned at sunrise, and you was afraid he'd do it. And he would, too, if he could find a match. Ain't it awful, Sam? Do you think anybody will pay out money to get that little imp like that back home? Sure, said I. A rowdy kid like that is just the kind that parents dote on. Now, you and the chief get up and cook breakfast while I go up on the top of this mountain and recon... (laughs) They're both not wanting to, you know, admit that they're, you know, scared of this little kid, okay? I went up to the peak of the little mountain and ran my eye over the uh, contiguous vicinity. Over towards Summit, I expected to see the sturdy yamanry of the village armed with scythes and pitchforks and beating the countryside for the dastardly kidnappers. But what I saw was a peaceful landscape doted with one man, or dotted, excuse me, dotted with one man plowing with a dung mule. Nobody was dragging the creek. No couriers dashed hither and yon, bringing tidings of no news to distracted parents. There was a sylvan attitude of somnolent, sleepiness pervading that section of the external outward surface of Alabama that lay exposed to my view. Perhaps, says I to myself, it has not yet been discovered that the wolves have borne away the tender lambkin from the fold. Heaven help the wolves, says I, and I went down the mountain to breakfast. When I got to the cave, I found Bill backed up against the side of it, breathing hard and the boy threatening to smash him with a rock half as big as a coconut. He put a red-hot boiled potato down my back, explained Bill, and then mashed it with his foot, and I boxed his ears. Have you, have you got a gun about you, Sam? I took the rock away from the boy and kind of patched up the argument. I'll fix you, says the kid to Bill. No man ever yet struck Red Chief, but he got paid for it. You better beware. After breakfast, the kid takes a piece of leather with strings wrapped around it out of his pocket and goes outside the cave unwinding it. What's he up to now, says Bill anxiously. You don't think he'll run away, do you, Sam? No fear of it, says I. He don't seem to be much of a homebody. But we've got to fix up some plan about the ransom. There don't seem to be much excitement around Summon on account of his disappearance, but maybe they haven't realized he's... They yet that he's gone, his folks may think he's spending the night with, you know, with Aunt Jane or one of the neighbors. Anyhow, he'll be missed today. Tonight we must get a message to his father demanding the two thousand dollars for his return. Just then we heard a kind of war whoop, such as David might have emitted when he knocked out the champion Goliath. Anybody remember what those are called when we refer to things that other people might know, might not know? You're right. It's an illusion. And this is what we call a biblical illusion because we're talking about the Bible here, okay? David and Goliath. It was a sling that Red Chief had pulled out of his pocket and he was whirling it around his head. I dodged and heard a heavy thud and a kind of sigh from Bill like a horse gives out when you take his saddle off. A rock the size of an egg had caught Bill just behind his left ear. He loosened himself all over and fell in the fire across the frying pan of hot water for washing dishes. I dragged him out and poured cold water on his head for half an hour. By and by, Bill sits up and feels behind his ear and says... "'Sam, do you know who my favorite biblical character is?' "'Take it easy,' says I. "'You'll come to your senses presently.' "'King Herod,' he says. "'You won't go away and leave me here alone, will you, Sam?' "'I went out and caught that boy and shook him until his freckles rattled. "'If you don't behave,' says I, "'I'll take you straight home. "'Are you going to be good or not?' I was only funnin', says he suddenly. I didn't mean to hurt all Hank, but what did he hit me for? I'll behave snake-eye if you won't send me home and if you'll just let me play the scout today. Okay, <laughs> another biblical illusion when he says, You know who my favorite biblical character is? King Herod. And you might know something about the Bible. You might not know about the Bible. But if you see the little footnote there, it says that Herod ruled Judea from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. And at one point ordered the execution of all boys in Bethlehem younger than two years old. So this guy's been, he's been to his limit. And he's like, you know, I love that guy that killed all the baby boys. And the reason he's saying that is because maybe this crazy boy would be you know, would not be alive, which, you know, that's a pretty, uh, crazy thing to say, but this is supposed to be for, like, comedic relief. Whew. Sorry, I had to get a sip. This is a long one. Okay. I don't know the game, says I, because the kid has asked if he can be scout. Says I, that's for you on Mr. Bill to decide. He's your playmate for the day. I'm going to wait for a while on business. Now you come in and make friends with him and say you're sorry for hurting him or home you go at once. I made him and Bill shake hands and then I took Bill aside and told him I was going to Poplar Grove, a little village three miles from the cave, and find out what I could find out about the kidnapping and had been regarded to summit, about how the kidnapping had been regarded in summit. Also, I thought it best to send a... Uh, peremptory letter to Old Man Dorset that day. Demanding the ransom and dictating how it should be paid. You know, Sam, said Pills, I've stood by you without biting an eye in earthquakes, fire and flood, in poker games, dynamite outrages, police raids, train robberies and cyclones. I never lost my nerve yet till we kidnapped that two-legged skyrocket of a kid. He's got me going. You won't leave me long with him, will you, Sam? I'll be back sometime this afternoon," says I. "You mustn't keep that, you must keep that boy amused and quiet till I return. Now we'll write the letter when uh, letter to old Dorset. Bill and I got paper and pencil and worked on the letter while Red Chief, with a blanket wrapped around him, strutted up and down, guarding the mouth of the cave. Bill begged me tearfully to make the ransom fifteen hundred dollars instead of two thousand. I ain't attempting, says he, to decry the celebrated moral aspect of parental affection, but we're dealing with humans and it ain't human for anybody to give up $2,000 for that 40-pound chunk of freckled wildcat. I'm willing to take a chance at $1,500. You can charge the difference up to me. So to relieve Bill, I acceded Acceded and um, we collaborated a letter at, that ran this way Ebenezer Dorset Esquire, we have your boy concealed in a place far from summit. It is useless for you or the most skillful detectives to attempt to find him. Absolutely the only terms on which you can have him restored to you are these We demand $1,500 in large bills for his return. The money to be left at midnight tonight at the same spot and in the same box as your reply as here and after is described. If you agree to these terms, send your answer in writing by a solitary messenger tonight at half past eight o'clock. After crossing Owl Creek on the road to Poplar Grove, there are three large trees about a 100 yards apart, close to the fence of the wheat field on the right-hand side. At the bottom of the fence post opposite the third tree will be found a small pasteboard box. The messenger will place the answer in his box and return immediately summit. If you attempt any treachery or fail to comply with our demand as stated, you will never see your boy again. If you pay the money as demanded, he will be returned to you safe and well within three hours. These terms are final and if you do not accede to them, no further communication will be attempted. Two desperate men. I addressed the letter to Dorset and put it in my pocket. As I was about to start, the kid comes up to me and says, Aw, Snake Eye, you said I could play scout while you was gone. Well, play it, of course, says I. Mr. Bill will play with you. What kind of game is it? I'm the scout, says Ritchie, and I have to ride to the stockade to warn the settlers that the Indians are coming. I'm tired of playing Indian myself. I want to be the scout." All right, says I. It sounds harmless to me. I guess Mr. Bill will help you foil the enemy. What am I supposed to do, asks Bill, looking at the kid suspiciously. You are the hoss, says the scout. Get down on your hands and knees. How can I ride to the stockade without a hoss? You'd better keep him interested, said I, till we get the scheme going. Loosen up. Bill gets down on all fours, and a look comes in his eye like a rabbit's when you catch it in a trap. "'How far to the stockade, kid?' he asks in a husky manner of voice. Ninety miles,' said Scout, and you have to hurry to get there on time. "'Whoa, now!' and Scout jumps on Bill's back and digs his heels in his side. "'For heaven's sake!' said Bill. "'Hurry back, Sam, as soon as you can. "'I wish we hadn't made the ransom more than a thousand. Say, you quit kicking me or I'll get up and warm you good. I walked over to Poplar Grove and sat around the post office and store talking with the chow chow bacons that came into trade. One whiskerando says that he hears Summit is all upset on account of Elder Ebenezer Dorset's boy having been lost or stolen. That was all I wanted to know. I referred casually to the price of black-eyed peas and posted my letter surreptitiously and came away. The postmaster said the mail carrier would come by in an hour to take the mail to Summit. When I got back to the cave, Bill and the boy were not to be found. I explored the vicinity of the cave and risked a yodel or two. There was no response, so I sat down on a mossy bank to wait developments. About half an hour, I heard a bush's rustle, and Bill wobbled out into the little glade in front of the cave. Behind him was the kid stepping softly like a scout with a broad grin on his face. Bill stopped, took his hat off his hat, and wiped his face with his red handkerchief. The kid stopped about eight feet behind him. Sam, says Bill, I suppose you think I'm a renegade, but I couldn't help it. I'm a grown person with masculine proclivities and habits of self-defense, but there is a time when all systems of egotism and predominance fail. The boy is gone. I sent him home. All is off. There, there was martyrs in old times, goes on Bill, that suffered death rather than give up the particular graft they enjoyed. None of them was ever subjugated to such tortures as I have been. I tried to be faithful to our articles of depredation but there came a limit what's the trouble bill i asks him i was road says bill the 90 miles to the stockade not burn an inch then when settlers was rescued i was given oats sand ain't a palatable substitute and then for an hour i had to try to explain to him why there was nothing in holes how a road can run both ways And what makes the grass green? I tell you, Sam, a human can only stand so much. I takes him by the neck of his clothes and drags him down the mountain. On the way, he kicks my legs black and blue from the knees down. And I've got to have two or three bites on my thumb and my hand cauterized. But he's gone, continues Bill. Gone home. I showed him the road to summon and i kicked him about eight feet nearer there in one kick i'm sorry we lose the ransom but it was either that or bill driscoll to the madhouse bill was puffing and blowing but there was a look of ineffable peace and grown content on his rose pink features bill says i there ain't any heart disease in your family is there no says bill "'Nothing chronic except malaria and accidents. Why? And then you might turn around,' says I, "'and have a look behind you.' "'Bill turns and sees the boy and loses his complexion "'and sits down plump on the ground "'and begins to pluck aimlessly at grass and little sticks. "'For an hour, I was afraid of his mind. "'Then I told him that my scheme "'was to put the whole job through immediately "'and that we would get the ransom,' And be off with it by midnight if Old Dorset fell in with our proposition. But Bill braced up again, up enough to give the kid a weak sort of smile and a promise to play the Russian in a Japanese war with him as soon as he felt a little better. This is one of my favorite parts of imagery. This big old guy who has just been through it, and when as soon as he turns around and sees that kid has fallen, he just sets down on the grass and starts. Pick at the grass like a little kid who's in a timeout. It's like mad, you know, playing with sticks. It's just trying not to cry. Let's get back to it. I had a scheme for collecting that ransom without danger of being caught by counterplots that ought to commend itself to professional kidnappers. The tree under which the answer was to be left and the money later on was close to the road fence with big, bare fields on all sides. If a gang of constables should be watching for anyone to come for the note, they could see him a long way off, crossing the fields or in the road. But no, siree, at half past eight, I was up in that tree, as well hidden as a road tree toad, waiting for the messenger to arrive. Exactly on time, a half-grown boy rides up the road on a bicycle, locates the pasteboard box at the foot of the fence post, "'and slips a folded piece of paper into it "'and pedals away again back toward Summit. "'I waited an hour and then concluded the thing was square, "'and I slid down the tree, got the note, "'slipped along the fence till I struck the woods "'and was back at the cave in another half an hour, "'and I opened the note, got near the lantern, "'and read it to Bill. "'It was written with the pen of a crabbed hand, "'and the sum and substance of it was this.' two desperate men. Gentlemen, I received your letter today by post in regard to the ransom you ask for the return of my son. I think you are a little high in your demands, and I hereby make you a counter-proposition, which I am inclined to believe you will accept. "'You bring Johnny home and you pay me $250 in cash "'and I agree to take him off your hands. "'You had better come at night "'for the neighbors believe he is lost "'and I couldn't be responsible for what they would do "'to anybody they saw bringing him back.' "'Very respectfully, Ebenezer Dorset. "'Great pirates of Penzance,' says I. "'All of the impudent.' "'But I glanced at Bill and hesitated.' He had the most appealing look in his eyes I ever saw on the face of a dumb or a talkative, talking brute. Sam, says he, what's $250 after all? We got the money. One more night of this kid will send me in the bed at Bedlam. Besides, being a thorough gentleman, I think Mr. Dorset is a spendthrift for making us such a liberal offer. You ain't going to let that chance go, are you? Tell you the truth bill says i this little he you lamb has somewhat got on my nerves too we'll take him home pay the ransom and make our getaway we took him home that night we got him to go by telling him that his father had bought a silver mounted rifle and a pair of moccasins for him and we were going to hunt bears the next day it was just 12 o'clock when we knocked at ebenezer's front door Just at the moment when I should have been abstracting the $1,500 from the box under the tree, according to their original proposition, Bill was counting out $250 into Dorset's hand. When the kid found out we were going to leave him at home, he started up a howl like a calliope and fastened himself as tight as as a leech to Bill's leg. His father peeled him away gradually like a porous plaster. How long can you hold him? Asks Bill. I'm not as strong as I used to be, says Old Dorset, but I think I can promise you ten minutes. Enough, says Bill. In ten minutes, I shall cross the central, southern, and middle western states and be legging it trippingly to the Canadian border. And as dark as it was and as fat as Bill was and as good a runner as I am, he was a good mile and a half out of Summit before I could catch up with him. All right, guys. So... These guys, these crooks, decide that they're going to take this kid, and they do. They take the kid, but then as the kid is there, they, he's driving them nuts. He's, you know, kicking them. He's scratching them, and they're not, they're not trying to hurt kids. Now, I'm not explaining what, you know, I'm not, like, excusing what they're doing, that they kidnapped this kid. But they were thinking, oh, this is a rich guy. He's going to want, just like any loving parent, he's going to want his kid back. Then they get there, the kid is the devil, and as they have the devil in their possession, the longer he's with them, they're like, "Hey,, we don't need two thousand. What if we do fifteen hundred And then you remember Bill's like, "Oh, I can't believe we asked more than a thousand and then in the end, they paid that father to take his kid back, and they paid it, and they got off like they they rode off into the sunset two hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, with two hundred fifty dollars less in their pocket, but they were happy to be on their way. So this is what we would call irony, where they expect someone to give money to get their kid back, and that person does not give money to get their pit, their kid back. They actually say, "I know how. I know my kid. You can you can pay me money to take my kid off your hands." So. I hope you enjoy this short story. It is one of my favorites. It's kind of a long short story, but it's really good. So The Ransom of Red Chief by O. Henry. um, It's just, it's a classic.